Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Katherine Ingram. The following is excerpted from Dharma Dialogues, held in April 2017 in Lennox Head, Australia. It's called All Things Pass. An event occurs in the vast regions of space. An event occurs. And dissolves into the vast regions of space. Like all things and every one and all of your thoughts, and all of your worries, and all the things that happened, all the things that are going to happen. Right? Just coming and going. We say it comes to pass, right? Literally so. It comes to pass. Even our sun, right? All the, all of the extraordinary phenomena of this world coming and going, coming and going, coming and going. And we naturally, naturally, because we're beings who bond, we naturally love the beings that we're interacting with. We love life itself, actually. And yet, we're confronted always with this incredible impermanence So how is this bearable? It's almost not bearable. We're we're invited from our own deepest, wisest self to sit poised on this razor's edge of engagement and of loving and of fully showing up. And knowing all the while, it's just coming to pass. It's going to pass. Is there a silence in which you can sit deeper than all of this coming and going, which is a sanctuary? Is there a place where you can say, you bow to it, you you completely bow to it? And you say, okay, this is how it is here. And then you're, you're able to be much more free in the extraordinary, impermanent nature of it all. And yet very, very engaged. Sitting in the quiet that is the the source of your own self. 
Personally, I found it easy to be silent or live in a silent environment. No television. Yeah. No commercials. Turn off every technology for a few years. But to turn off the mind that straight away then jumps in, I find that an extremely big challenge. So you actually don't have to quiet the mind. You begin to notice the quiet that contains the mind, right? So you actually don't have to turn off the mind. The mind can just do its own thing. And it will, by the way. There's really no turning it off. For some people, perhaps their frequency of thought is less than others. Who knows? But... I think we now know from neuroscience that unless you're in a pretty deep coma or in very, very deep, deep sleep, there's some time, perhaps in the night, uh, when there's no um, activity. But mostly there is activity in the brain and it's coming in the form of thoughts. So to not have any quarrel with that, um, but rather to have a relationship with your own attention that is knowing what to bother with. In other words, most of the thoughts, as I always say, are spam. You don't need to bother with them. You don't need to follow them. You don't need to engage them, act upon them, consider them at all. They can just go by. There are a few that are actionable that we need to address, that we need to do something about. Um, And those will pop clearly when you're in your relaxed easy sense of presence, those few thoughts that are, you know, insightful, relational, functional, creative, those will be obvious. But most of the thinking is really, I think, contraindicated to health. Um, I think that if I look at it evolutionarily, a long, long time ago, it was a great advantage to our species, right? We were, we're the thinking animal. And it was a high, great advantage. But at this point, I don't think it is. It's driving everyone crazy. And so, especially because so much of the thinking is in the service of various forms of of, um, madness, really, in terms of getting more and destroying more and, you know, just go down the list of the the craziness that's being expressed. Um, And a lot of it driven by misapplied thinking. So we, in this context in what I like to call awakened intelligence, we easily discern between the crazy thoughts that you don't need to bother with, the thoughts that are quite beautiful and, and needed and, you know, that are, that are healthy for life. Um, and then there's another category that are just innocuous, right, that are, that are no big deal. Sometimes people just like to think about things and that can be enjoyable and that's fine. But my point is that when you're sitting in this sweet spot of quiet, you're 
able to you're able to direct your own attention and you begin to use that facility a lot without any big heaviness about it without having to kind of be you know a cat waiting to pounce on a mouse but rather in a very relaxed way you just gently move your attention and you gently move your attention off of things that are unnecessarily trouble, troubling you gently moving your attention off of scary pictures about the past or future right gently moving it's not to say you're in denial of anything you're staying with reality here in the now and by the way of course i always say there's plenty of suffering that comes our way through loss there's plenty of it we don't have to go looking for any extra and at the same time we don't have to deny the feelings that naturally come with loss but i like to point out we don't have to suffer things that are completely not needed to be suffered right that are just as they say in zen you know you you paint a, a tiger on the wall and become afraid of it that a lot of times what we're doing is painting in imagination and that we don't need to do so you start to parse out very gently and very uh, clearly the um what it, what is pertinent right but most of the time you can just be floating along in present awareness most of the time you're not having to decide what's pertinent you right you're just floating along in present awareness you're making your tea you're pouring the tea you're washing the dishes you're taking your child somewhere you you're basically in present awareness in flow and there are thoughts drifting by but much of the time they're not needed for functioning what what you described as the um everyday thoughts and activities like pouring of the tea drinking of the tea and the drifting by thoughts um are they compartmentalized is there a relationship between them and if so what what is the relationship how do they influence each other are those thoughts compartmentalized are mm. you asking well the drifting by thoughts and the everyday things that you're doing as life goes on right i sometimes talk about something i call coexisting awareness and i know some of you've heard me speak about it already so at the risk of um having to <laughs> you're having to sit through it again and that is that as you know in your own life you're sometimes driving the car and maybe you're listening to the radio or you're talking to a friend but you're also driving the car is it yes So we can see many 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 examples of coexisting awareness that the awareness is operating on different levels there's even a um autonomic level that's happening that we're not even in control of we're not directing but it's going on you know your heart is beating and and so on um so what can happen let's say you're making the tea and you're 
you're just in flow making the tea. And there are little thoughts that are just floating by, almost like background. I sometimes liken it to you're on a train in the French countryside. Um, you don't speak French, let's say. And people are on the train having conversation in French. But you're looking at the countryside, right? And there's these background murmurings. And sometimes you catch a word that sounds a little familiar, Right? but mostly you're just watching the countryside. Your own thoughts can become very much like that French conversation, whereby it's just background. It's, you're not really having to pounce onto and work the concepts. You're basically letting most of it go by, because most of it is unnecessary in my experience and in the experience of so, so many of the thousands of people I've spoken to in the years of doing this, most people have reported that they can't believe how much nonsense, and especially in retreat you see it, where you're seeing it so closely, and it'll actually calm down. But it, we don't even need to expect for it to stop. It doesn't matter that it's going on. It's that you begin to appropriate it into its, uh, into its perfect um, category of basically being background, non-necessary, floating by thoughts. Meanwhile, when that's the case, you have a lot more awareness on what you're actually doing. You're not lost in the thoughts of the old crazy thoughts. You know, Eckhart Tolle tells a great story gives a great image he was standing on a street corner in new york city one time and he said he was standing there and everyone was rushing around him so fast that it was as, the, as if they were running he said it was as if they were actually running they weren't in fact running but it felt like that and he just stood there and felt the swirl of the speed and he said to himself where are they running to and immediately the answer came, they're running to the future, right? But there's this constant, you know, and when one challenges that, when one directs one's attention in a different way, then you're not running to the future. You're just, you're just hanging out in the now. You're just hanging around. You're just floating along. And strangely, as I was getting ready to say, your own attention is much more bright. It's much more clear. It's much more alive. And you're experiencing your lived life here in the now in a much, in a much more centered way. It's like you're in it. Have you ever had the experience of looking back at a time in your life, let's say, and realizing that was really good. It was really, really good, but I wasn't quite there. Yeah? It was like, you know, you kind of see it from this vantage point and you think, I wish I had been more in it <laughs> at the time, <laughs> you know? So another aspect of knowing how to use your own attention, directing your attention appropriately is that it gives you your actual life at last. It gives you light. It gives you, you're showing up in the center, in the lived center. 
in the sensorial center as well of the moment you're having. And you get many, many of those. And in a way, in a strange way, time can kind of elongate. Like the day we're having today is <laughs> we get an extra hour. Time can kind of <laughs> time can kind of elongate in a strange way because you're actually you're actually showing up. I have found it interesting that in periods of my life that I was, say, depressed or anxious or kind of just not happy, I I look back and that time was a blur. It's almost like I wasn't quite even there. It's like a blur that went by. And strangely, the times of my life where there's been a tremendous amount of presence and awareness, especially those in in retreats, it's it's like you get a year and a week, you know. Um, it's it's really drenched, lived life. So it gives you this kind of use of attention. Gives you, um, yeah, like I said, the 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 aliveness. Nisargadatta says. It is reality that makes this present moment so vital, so different from past and future, which are merely mental. I'll say it again. It is reality that makes this moment so vital, so different from past and future, which are merely mental. It's reality that's giving this moment its sparkle, its its pop, it's because we're sitting in reality. We're not in a kind of dream state. We're not in a woozy imagination. Now, some people prefer imagination, and that's fair enough. Fine. One can't expect to um, think that one's way is the best way, but <laughs> but I can just give you my own experience. Um, for me... The times when I have spent a lot of time either in imagination, fantasy, or in dread, there's, I haven't felt alive in it, right? You know the old, um, I think it's the Everly Brothers song of dream, dream, dream. <laughs> Only dream, yeah. <laughs> Only trouble is, gee whiz, I'm dreaming my life away, you know? And... And those are the kinds of reflections you begin to grok in the in the cells of your being that you don't want to miss this. You don't want to miss this. Find yourself at the end, as many people do, thinking, oh my God, you know, I was always somewhere else in my head, in my imagination. I was always waiting for this other thing to happen when I would start living my real life, right? I was in postponement. My friend Leonard Cohen has this brilliant Waiting for the Miracle song. Baby, I've been waiting. I've been waiting night and day. I didn't see the time, and I waited half my life away. There were lots of invitations, and I know you sent me some, but I was waiting for the miracle, the miracle to come. 
People spend their lives waiting for the miracle to come. Always something out there, you know. And there can come a point where this one can recognize sort of with horror that it's not, it's not the miracle to come. It's this miracle that we're living. The only one we're guaranteed. Any one of us. Right? Yes. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Uh, two things was the pressure knowing that I'm in a dreaming state, wanting to be not in a dreaming state and time running out. And what and the and the idea of time running out. Yeah. And then what arose was wanting. Uh, so I just wonder what want use wanting is if is there any use in wanting? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, it's an interesting subject, actually, the realm of desire, right? And um, to understand that desire is part of life, right? It has its use. Um, our ancestors were very, you know, desirish creatures, lusty and strong, both, Right? Those are those were the successful humans. Um, so obviously, there is a place for desire. But I have this whole um, whole little piece I wrote years ago um, called "The Rules of Desire." Um, I actually changed it to "Desire Rules," but anyway, um, to really keep in mind, first do no harm, the Hippocratic Oath. First do no harm, so that your desire, whatever it may be, um, doesn't hurt anyone, and I would add anything, right? That your own desire, your own fulfillment of your own desire is harmless. Um, Also to note, and especially as you get more and more quiet and as you live in greater contentment in your life, to really note that um, every desire you chase or have some relationship with an object or an experience, it has a cost of energy, right? Everything, every, every pathway you're running down to chase something is going to have a cost of energy. Now, that may be a cost you're happy to pay, but just to start to notice that so that you're not a slave to desires that are just going to eat up all your time and energy. You know, have you ever known anyone, I have, who no matter what they acquire, it's not enough. They have to keep going. More and more and this and that and more experiences and this object and, you know, so that there's just, there's no rest and there's not even any real enjoyment of what they're acquiring. (laughs) 
I was once on a trip in Patagonia, and we were traveling with this photographer. And we were having to get up at five in the morning to go take, so he could take pictures. And we're just the whole day acquiring images for some other later time, right? <laughs> it was just so such a strange way for me to, to be experiencing this rather magnificent setting that we were in. It was like we were just in acquisition. And I felt like we, we really weren't, we were always just looking through lenses to see where we were. <laughs> and for me, I mean, for me, for my nature, it was completely anathema, right? Um, I guess he was having a good time in it, but, but I did find myself thinking, how is this fun? Like, why is that enjoyable? It's always about some other time that's going to be you know, so to really start to notice, you can play with desire. You can maybe decide to chase this or that, have this or that, want this or that, fine. But really tell the truth inside of yourself. Is this costly? Is this overly costly? Right. Or is this causing complication in my life in some other way? If the answers to that are no, and you're enjoying whatever it was you desired and managed to get, then enjoy. Where does hope come into your way of thinking? My question originates from hearing, reading, listening to horrific situations people were thrown in in war zones, that the only thing they said was a hope that they see their loved ones again. Yeah. And when they realized they were gone, yeah. they lost any belief in the good. Yeah. Where is hope? Is it not there or is it in vain? Hmm. Hmm. I try my best to not have a lot of relationship about hope. It's a word that I don't entertain a lot. Um, are you following me? Yeah. So, of course, I'm not saying to entertain hopelessness at all. I'm not saying that. But it's like, do you know the T.S. Eliot lines... Be still and wait without hope, for hope may be hope for the wrong thing. However, even as brilliant as those lines may be, I often shorten them to be still and wait without hope. Right? Just be with what is. So then you are in a very powerful position It's not, to, it's not to be apathetic. It's not to try to make things better, right? You can, you can be doing the best you can for the greater good and for a better world and for a better life. But if your, if your uh, soul is kind of clutched on to a big hope that's driving all of that activity, 
you're very, very vulnerable to a tremendous amount of suffering because things tend to go awry a lot. And, you know, and as we look around in this world, it, it, there's a lot of brutality. There's a lot of, it's it t- intensifying on all levels. You know, this is a very, very intense time we're living in. Um, I said recently in Dharma Dialogues in Byron Bay, I've never in my lifetime experienced anything like what we're facing on the planet now. And um, so, you know, I have had to come to, and it's been for a long time, really long time, a kind of deep, deep inner surrender to how this is going to play out. Now, does that change my work? No, not at all. I quoted uh, recently my friend W.S. Merwin, who's a poet. He said, on the last day of the world, I would want to plant a tree. Mm. Right? So to really see that you're just going to keep standing on the side of the good, do what you can, show up, be kind, be generous, without it hooked to an outcome. So you're basically just eliminating your vision of the outcome and staying with the, the, yeah, basically just staying in reality right here. Do you meditate? Do I meditate? Yeah. I don't officially meditate because I live so quietly and so simply, you know. So I don't sort of sit down on a cushion and have a kind of formal time of meditation um, because most of my day it's in present awareness in a very kind of free flow. Um, so if I happen to be sitting, like sometimes I, I, in this case, sit on those couches out there and just kind of, you know, gaze at the sky or um, whatever it is that I'm doing or not doing, there's that kind of uh, hanging out feeling, Right. Now, that said, I know some people's lives are very busy and they do, they are very benefited by having a a time they carve out where they just are either sitting or laying on a couch is also fine. There's nothing particularly sacred about the sitting position, but just that they're taking some time for, for silence, for rest, rest in the ease of being, not having to be you know, a slave to a to-do list and that that's very important in their day. Um, I think in, in cases where there's a lot of busyness, a lot of, you know, a lot of balls in the air in the day, a lot of those times, a lot of those people are benefited by a more formal meditation time. It can also be fine to take a walk or go to the beach or... Um, one of my girlfriends is a psychiatrist in Los Angeles, and at the end of her day of listening to people's problems, she comes home and she runs a bath and she lights candles and she just sort of sits in the bath and just lets it all drain out, right? That's her meditation and well and good. So having done, as you know, I did... 17 years of formal meditation practice and a lot in formal retreats. Um, but 
that was a long, long time ago. And now it's, it's, it's a living meditation, I like to call it, you know. It's, it's a living meditation, which is kind of hanging out in your deep water inside in the day, just simple, you know. Thank you. Not living in the future, yet needing to plan. Mm. How do they, how do you marry the two? Well, you plan, you, yes, you can turn it off. <laughs> you plan in the now. You plan everything you plan about the future, which, by the way, never comes, right? It's always just now. You have these images about the future. And we as thinking, planning animals, we have a big relationship to planning. Um, so you, as you're planning, there's some thoughts reserved to, well, this might come to be, right? Going to take a trip, need to make a reservation, need to plan where I'm going to stay, da-da-da. This all may come to be. I like the idea, I like the picture. Um, I'm going to do this activity, make these phone calls um, to, in service of that picture. But all of that is happening only in the now. So you can have a reservation of mental space that's planning, so-called, for the future, but mostly you are living your most of your attention is here in the now. So for myself, I, ha I have to plan a lot, and not as much in this particular phase I'm in, but for all these many years of teaching and traveling and organizing retreats and so on, it required a lot of planning. But I would just, I'd write something down and then I wouldn't think about it anymore. Right? Or I'd make the phone call to make the reservation. And I wouldn't, it's done. I wouldn't be thinking about, I mean, occasionally thoughts would come through about, oh, it'll be nice when we're in Italy, maybe we'll go here or there. But, but it was, it's mostly just been living completely here with, you know, some homage to the necessity for, for planning. I've also lived long enough, as have you, to know that not all our plans come to be. They get revised, right? Caitlin and I were um, going to dinner last night, driving down Ross Lane. <laughs> we, we get halfway down and get turned around, <laughs> right? So um, lots of our plans don't come to be, little and big. Um, again, if you're... If you're uh, the 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 aliveness, the light of your existence is just here in your recognition, reality giving this its vitality, right? This moment we're having with in reality, that's what's making it pop. Um, then you're content where you are. And if a plan comes to be, and you liked that plan, great. If it doesn't, something else comes to be. 
Is it possible that we as individuals have individual degrees of compassion? Yes, most definitely. Um, some people are incredibly compassionate, empathic. I'd say they go together. Compassion in its Latin root means suffering with. Some people have a tremendous capacity to really suffer with, to really feel into the pain of another, really understand, right? And some people, sociopaths, have no capacity whatsoever. None, zero. There, yes, there's, there, there are incredible extremes in this world for our various capabilities. And um, yes, and being, being compassionate uh, is a particularly, in my view, a very, very beautiful, extraordinary uh, capability. Not everyone has, has it. And in some cases, you sense that some people, not that they're sociopaths, but that they don't have strength to suffer with. They're barely handling their own suffering. They don't have any extra to give away. You know, and in, in America, there's a famous uh, civil rights leader, Martin Luther King Jr. He has a beautiful book title, The Strength to Love. I always loved that title, the strength to love, right? So again, the, the strength to feel compassion, the strength to be empathic, it requires a, a, a very strong and a powerful uh, capacity. The Tibetan monks, for instance, um, they are trained in compassion from the time they're little Children, yeah. Yeah. So yes, some systems and some educational systems and some... But of course, it's very lucky if your parents are that way. <laughs> so... <laughs> This has been In the Deep. You can find the entire list of In the Deep podcasts at katherineagram.com, where you can also book a private session by phone or Skype, see the schedule for Dharma Dialogues and Retreats, or make a tax-deductible donation in support of this work. Till next time. <laughs>